this place. But just in case it becomes a source of pride for you, this isn't about you. This is about all people. Jesus said it clearly, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever, whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is God's invitation. Come, join the team. Come, be part of this family. Come, be part of this group. Some of you have already kind of experienced the volleyball nights, and Barry was praying about that, the pickleball nights. What I'm thinking is interesting to me and fascinating is how community is forming. We have people who are part of this church and not part of this church, but Friday night is their thing, and they're here, and they're like, hey, good to see you. Hey, good to see you. It's like, I, do you remember that old TV show, Cheers, where it was like kind of centered around the bar, and everybody knew, knows your name? That was the theme song, where everybody knows your name. Everybody knows people's names. It's that kingdom of, it's like, come on in. You belong here. And if you don't believe in Jesus yet, that's okay. Come on in. We want you here because we're really inviting you not to volleyball. That's not what we're inviting you to. We're inviting you to a kingdom of God. We're inviting you to be this, a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a people that belong to God, his special possession. And that includes you if you've given your life to Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this passage makes me excited because as God reveals himself to Moses, he's trying to remind him, look, Moses, I've been doing this. I've been creating a people, calling out your ancestor Abraham, and now ultimately calling you and the Israelites into this relationship with me. Have you responded? Responded to that call? Have you said yes to Jesus? Pray for our preschoolers that as we share with them the love of God, that we would lay in them the seeds of that story, that they too are welcome in God's kingdom. Amen. Well, not only are we part of this promise, I want you to see something else. We're part of a history, and I just want to get, get you ready. I don't like doing controversial stuff, but this one's going to kind of. Uh, but Moses was part of a history. Moses was part of a history, and he needed to learn something from it. And guys, we are too. So let's look at the history that, that uh, happens to Moses. Exodus chapter 1, beginning with verse 8. It says, Then a new king, a new Pharaoh, to whom Joseph meant nothing. Wait, Joseph meant nothing? <clears throat> Why would Joseph mean anything in the first place? This ancestor of Moses, Joseph, one of the twelve sons of, of Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, one of the twelve sons, Joseph was sold into slavery, but became Pharaoh's right-hand man. And Joseph, God gave a dream to Pharaoh that Joseph interpreted with God's help, and through Joseph, the entire nation was saved from seven years of severe famine. Not only the nation of Egypt, but all of the surrounding peoples, including Joseph's own family. What a person. Joseph had, they should have had monuments to Joseph. They should have built a pyramid towards Joseph. Joseph was the Savior, rejected by his brothers, but the Savior of the world. Just like Jesus rejected, but became the Savior of the world. Oh yeah, Joseph was that archetype. And so Joseph should have been this, this hero. This was part of Moses' heritage, part of one of his ancestors. But now, disregarded, blown off, seen as nothing, Joseph meant nothing. Well, this new king came to power, and it says in verse 9, Look, he said to the people, the Israelites have become too numerous for us. Verse 10, So come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous. And if war breaks out, oh my goodness, they will join our enemies and fight against us and leave the country. 
So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built Python and Ramses as store cities for, for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more the Israelites multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites, and they worked them ruthlessly. Verse 14, they made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar, with all kinds of work in the fields, in all kinds of harsh labor. The Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. Okay, remember, Egypt full of Egyptians? Now it's full of Egyptians and Israelites. You've got two peoples here, and the Egyptians are like, look, let's literally work them to death. Give them no power, no place. Let's literally try to eliminate or at least keep their population small or at least so exhausted that they can't even rise up. They would have no political power. They could never be part of our overthrow. We will keep our status our way. Sound familiar? Look at history, right? Look at history. There's always the group that tries to stay in charge. There's groups that try to oppress others. This, our own country has some of this heritage as well. We all know that this is what happens. We're going to talk about that in a minute. But the idea that they tried to literally work the, the Israelites to death. This was the world that Moses grew up in. He needed to know his history. He was probably well aware. But he also needed the history of these people who were included that were faithful to God. Look what it says in the next verse, verse 15. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you guys are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see the baby as a boy, kill him. What? But if it's a girl, let her live. Oh my goodness. Let's just get rid of all the boys. Now, the midwives, however, feared God. They didn't do what the Egyptian king had said uh, and told them to do. They let the boys live. So the Pharaoh, this king of Egypt, summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? Well, <clears throat> I don't think we're supposed to lie. But remember, Ten Commandments hasn't come yet. So they give kind of maybe a little half-truth here. I, I don't know. Um, here's probably a lie for the greater good here. It says, um, they asked, why have you let the boys live? And the women answered this in verse 19. The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before the midwives even arrive. I, I, I can't imagine giving birth. And uh, you, know, you new moms that are here. I, I, vigorous women. <laughs> I'm proud of you, whatever. That sounds exciting. Okay, these midwives are saying, hey, the, the women gave birth before we even get there. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because of the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Okay, we needed to remember, Moses needed to, re and he recorded, this was not really part of his history, right? This would have been a story he was told about as he records this from the Lord. These women who stood up and said, we're going to be faithful even in unfaithful times. We are going to be faithful in the midst of oppression. We are going to honor God. We are going to fear God. We're going to do what God says, not what our government says, not what the Pharaoh says. We are going to put our own lives on the line, and God bless them. There's something to be learned. Now, brothers and sisters, I think this is one of the most challenging times in the United States. The thing is, I haven't lived through that many times. 
I mean, I've got a few decades under my belt, but some of you have lived through a lot more challenging times than I have, and some of you have lived through a lot less. But these, we've got to admit, are some difficult times for us as a nation. Politically, they're a challenging time. And I've got to be honest, it seems like to me, in my, my very limited scope and knowledge, that one of the things that is challenging is we as a nation are doing some reconsidering of our own history and heritage. Those of us who have been around a while, maybe the things that I was taught in school, we're having to kind of go, yeah, but there wasn't the whole story. You see, we are certainly a nation, and as we approach the 4th of July, we need to celebrate a heritage that we have as a nation, a heritage that stood up to tyranny, a heritage that insisted on religious freedom. That's why a lot of this nation was born in the first place. But it's not the whole story, is it? It was also a group of people that, while they were creating a democratic system of government, were also enslaving other people. Am I proud of one part of it? And am I ashamed and saddened by the other? Absolutely. Both are somehow true in this world. These two things were going on at once. Now, this was a, a, a nation that has been built around the rule of law and insisted on a constitutional government. That, that, that's different. There isn't just an absolute monarch or an absolute king, a pharaoh who can just say, the boys should all be killed. We don't have that. Well, we have court systems. Those are, those are great achievements. But it's also a nation that then past majority rule type of laws, the Jim Crow eras and Jim Crow, that, that, that enslaved and oppressed others that, 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 out of fear, just like maybe the Egyptians did. Is it a great triumph? Is it something we celebrate and honor and need to preserve? Absolutely. Is it something we also ought to recognize did some great harm and some evil and need to make sure it's never done again? Absolutely. Um, this is the nation, and some of you all actually lived through those World War II days, where this nation, along with other peoples, rose up in, in opposition to fascism and, and opposed it and, and tyranny and, and, and defeated and, and often is called what Tom Brokaw says the greatest generation, right? The World War II. The, what great a nation was mobilized to defeat incredible wickedness. And yes, but it was also at the same time period that our Japanese Americans were interned. We did some things that we should say, no, that, we can't let that happen again. That's not okay. Just like Moses, we need to kind of learn from our history. We're part of a history. This is a, a country that has created unparalleled opportunities for the world, but it's also got unbridled greed sometime. And then right now it seems to just, boy, how, how do we react to, to immigration and not trying to figure this out? And there seems to be fear. Oh my goodness, we've got to figure out what's going on. Brothers and sisters, this is the stuff of conflict, right? This is the stuff as we rethink the, through these issues that we battle as, as, when we can't even have a conversation with family members. Um, at least my family sometimes. That's, it just, I mean, it's, it can be messy. And it, I don't even need any amens. God, just look at your faces like, yeah, I'm right? This is the stuff. Can I make a challenge to us? Just like Moses had told the stories of these midwives who were faithful and honored God, we too need to look at our history honestly and completely, but also make sure we look at some heroes. We need to look at some people who stood firm in the Lord, who honored God in the midst. I want to give you a guy you don't know. 
We've got to look and learn from some of our Christians. Do you know John Leland? Does that name ring a bell? All right, so who's John Leland? So he's a guy that lived 1754, 1841. He was a Baptist preacher. <clears throat> I like Baptist preachers. Um, uh, he was a Baptist preacher, right? So he's going to be one of my little heroes. He was a Baptist preacher, and he was known for, boy, his fiery sermons. You know, not saying I got, you know, there's some similarities maybe. Known for his fiery, passionate sermons. Oh, John Lee, but he could really preach. Um, uh, he was a pastor in Virginia. Um, he preached about freedom. That was one of his big topics. And he really complained, we got to be free from sin. Not allow slavery of sin to, to come into our lives. We preached against, the, against sin. But he also preached against slavery. Now, did I say where he was from? Virginia. Did I say that it was the 1754 to 1841? Virginia. In the, he was preaching an unpopular message, and yet it was resonating with a lot of people, so much so that he was actually one of the people that was being considered for and was in the lead of his county to go to the Continental Congress. He was friends with James Madison. He was friends with Thomas Jefferson. He debated and walked and talked to them, and he was instrumental in getting the initial separation of church and state kind of language put into the Virginia Constitution. And he was arguing that it has to be. It has to be in our federal system as well. That there needs to be freedom from religious tyranny. There needs to be freedom from someone being able to say, well, you're in this country, you have to believe this. And he argued and preached vehemently for that. Slavery was no of any kind. Whether it was slavery of people for economic gains or slavery to some kind of a religious and government kind of system that oppressed the people. He would say, all of that is gone. All of that goes against God. And he was actually James Madison who wrote a lot of our Constitution, right, James? He swapped and pulled out of the race, even though he was in the lead, to bring unity if he had one big condition. They put in a Bill of Rights that included the freedom of religion. we got to learn from guys like that. Guys that were not about themselves, were not about making their names great, not, but for the greater good of, of the world. Saying, look, I am and willing to preach and teach and say unpopular things for God's freedom to be brought to all people. I'm thankful for these early abolitionists. I'm thankful for these people who teach me. I'm thankful for you all that teach me something. Anybody remember last week's sermon? Yeah, I, I thought so. Uh, all right. <laughs> I, mean, I, I have to kind of review them, too. Um, last week, I mentioned a guy, I mentioned we were talking about materialism a little bit and slavery to, like, loving money and that kind of thing. I said, some of us are slaves to money because we just want more stuff and we want more and want more. And my classic example, you know my classic example was Mr. T. Do you remember Mr. T? Because he has all the gold chains. Do you remember? We can learn from Mr. T, right? Mr. T, <clears throat> because he had so many, did you know how he got all those gold chains? Before he was a movie star, he was a bouncer in a bar. Now, I'm, I'm really thankful. Uh, what, Nate brought, sent me an article about this in, in the email. And so I went out and looked up more. It was a fascinating story. He was a bouncer in a bar, and people who got in fights and stuff, I guess they would leave their gold chains. And so he just kept on. He said, anybody can have them back. All I got to do is ask. Mm, nobody's asking. <laughs> but he had, he had all kinds of gold, right? And I was like, look, I mean, isn't that materialism? For him, it wasn't. For him, he said, look, I'm wearing these gold chains for a reason. 
My peoples, when they came, were brought here in slavery, were brought in shackles and chains. But I'm showing that I am worth so much more than, those, than how I was valued, than how black people were valued in those days. Who were, right? He said, no, these gold chains are a symbol of the fact that in Jesus Christ, my value is so much more. See, he's a believer. He took off his gold chains. He took them off. When Hurricane Katrina happened, and we had so many people in the United States that were in poverty in their homes and everything, he said, how can I wear all of this when people are suffering? My Christian faith calls me to lay that aside and, and work for the good of others. My Christian, I can learn from Mr. T. I can. I pity the fool who doesn't learn from Mr. T. You've got to learn from Mr. T. He's living for Jesus. I, okay, I, I want to live for Jesus. Moses was part of a promise he needed to be reminded of. Moses is part of a history, just like we're part of a history, and we need to learn from it what not to do, but also from the Christian examples what to do. And our ultimate example is Jesus Christ, who said, greater love has no man than this, than that he lay down his life for his brothers. Thank you. I've got one more point I want to leave us with today. Moses was actually part of two families. Part of two families. And the tricky thing is he needed to incorporate the goods and leave out the bads successfully. Part of two families. Let's look at this. Um, verse 22. Pharaoh gave this order to all the people. Every Hebrew boy that is born to you, you've got to throw into the Nile. But let every girl live. Now, there was a man of the tribe of Levi, and he had married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, because Pharaoh had given the order that, okay, I'm not counting on the midwives, you are commanded to kill your sons. You are commanded to do this by the king. Oh no, she hid him, and when she could hide him no longer, she made a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds in the bank of the Nile, and her sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Look at this. The mother and the sister were involved. These mother and sister, they were people of conviction. They said, this is right. We are not killing our children. No way. We're just not doing it. We don't care. We are going to trust God. We are going to stand up. We are going to be faithful. They were people of compassion. How could they do this to their own son? They, they were people that cared. And they were people of great courage, putting their lives on the line. Notice that it took both mom and sister. I appreciate that. I appreciate the witness that, that <laughs> Moses grew up with parents that had great conviction and compassion and courage. In the New Testament, we see the example of Paul taking on a young man named Timothy. And he says to Timothy, I am reminded of the faith that lived first in your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois. Do some of you have that Mother Eunice, that grandmother Lois, maybe that big sister or brother, that father, that person of faith that inspires you. Oh, I love my grandmother. She's a lot of fun. She's kind of, kind of a silly one. She, you know, she's kind of goofy. And, of course, you know, I have my parents that were the seminary professors. And, you know, they talk. I had another uncle who was a pastor, and they would talk big theology things. Grandma was just like, is this helping us love Jesus? <laughs> Let's go love Jesus. I'm going to go to the piano. And she would just go to the piano and start playing, and she would play hymns. And, and 
Even when she later was in a nursing home, that was her thing. She would just lead the whole nursing home in song. She would just go to that piano and just play and sing to the Lord. And she made gifts for my, my grandfather did stuff in the prisons. And she would make things for all the prisoners to just share about Jesus, share the good news. Because she just loved Jesus. She didn't need to know all the details. She didn't have it all figured out. And I can remember when she went to be with the Lord, the last time she was able to kind of be conscious and, 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 and with us, all of a sudden she got this smile on her face. This was just before going to be with the Lord. And she just pointed up. And she was just excited. I don't know what was going on, but she knew. I couldn't see, but I think she could see. She was excited about Jesus. A grandmother who has great faith. Even in my times of philosophy and doubts, my grandmother had great faith. She had courage. She had compassion. Family number one laid a foundation for Moses. How are you laying foundations for your family? Exodus chapter 2, beginning with verse 5. Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe. Her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw in the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. The baby was crying and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrews' babies, she said. Don't, don't think that somehow she got confused. Like, oh, here's a baby in a basket. Maybe the gods, the Egyptian gods. She knew exactly who it was. She knew it was a Hebrew child. She knew what she was getting into as she adopts this child into her home. She knew she was going to face some stigma. She was going to get the questions. She was going to endure whatever was going to come. She took the child, and she says this. Um, <clears throat> took it into the home, and the daughter, in verse 7, then the sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Verse 8, yes, go. So the girl went and got Moses' mother. Pharaoh's daughter said, take care of this baby and nurse him for me and I'll pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Now when the child grew older, uh, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. Moses was raised, he knew his mom. He knew his sister. He knew his family. He knew what they had done. But then he was also raised by Pharaoh's daughter, a place that was full of pagan worship, a place that was oppressing others, a place that was cruel. But it was also a place of privilege, of learning the courts, of having education, of a complex situation. It was a place where Moses could learn to be the leader, to be the one that was the law code giver to be the administrator of over a million people who would come out of that slavery and, be, and wander in the wilderness for 40 years. God used good things about the Egyptian society to train Moses to be the leader he was supposed to be. Moses had to take the, the, the lessons of faith and the education of the world and blend them correctly. He had to know what to prune off. He had to avoid the, 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 the things that would enslave him. How about you? Are you successfully navigating your family's history? Are you successfully navigating your culture? Are you taking the things that are in your family history? I want to skip on to Galatians chapter 3, and it says this. If you belong to Christ, guess what? You are Abraham's seed. You are heirs according to the promise. 
going on to verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith, for you were baptized into Christ. You clothed yourself with Christ. Therefore, verse 28, there's no Jew or Gentile. There's not slave or free. There's not male or female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. So if you belong to Christ, there's that verse again, you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This story is about you. Amen. This story is about you. It's not just about Moses. He's part of a promise. He's part of a history. He's part of a heritage that now includes you. If you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are part of this one. It doesn't matter what race, what educational background, what family situation. You were brought into a new home, a new family. Sure, the things that God has taught you, that came from your family and came, the good things, bring them with you. And the bad things, let him prune them away. And let's be this light in the world where we're showing this is how we get along. This is how we work together. This is how we love each other. And as a church, we are already becoming a lot more diverse than we were two years ago. And I am so excited because we are going to face some challenges and so much good. Because this is what God calls us to to work and walk together, to take our different perspectives and take our heritage and blend them. Look at Hebrews 11. And what more do I have to say? I don't have time to tell you about all these people, all these ones that are the witness to us about Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what is promised, who shut the mouths of lions, who quenched the fury of flames. They escaped the edge of the sword, whose weaknesses they, they turned into strengths, and who became powerful in battle, and they routed foreign enemies. Welcome to your family. This is who they are. They are the ones who conquered and moved forward and faced the challenges together. They did what God had called them to do. And verse 39 says, they were all commended for their faith, yet none of them had received what was promised. Guess what? That's us. Since God had planned something better for us, that only with us who know Jesus Christ, who have found that redemption, who are experiencing the presence of the Holy Spirit, only together with us would they be made perfect or complete. So therefore... You and I, let's look ahead. It says, let us look. Um, <clears throat> we're surrounded by that great cloud of witnesses. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. We have got a history to look at. So we're going to keep studying the Bible. We've got people to learn from. Let's keep learning from those Christian testimonies. We've got a heritage to bring together. Now let's do it. Let's be the people of God, being the people of God. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. Yes, so that we've got a purpose. So that we might declare the praises of him who brought us out of slavery out of darkness into his glorious light. Brothers and sisters, I feel like this is one of those, here it is, line in the sand, put your name on it, let's go. Are you willing to face the Lord together as his people being his people? Young, old, rich, poor, whoever we are, let's do it together. Now some of you you're not able to do it together until you first come to Jesus. Until you've experienced his forgiveness and the Holy Spirit indwelling you, making you that new person. 
Today's your day. All you need to do is say, Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. I'm choosing to follow you. And he promised that you put your faith in Jesus Christ, that he will transform your life and come in and make you part of this people. And some of you, you're not able to do it with us because God hasn't assigned you here. But some of you, God's assigned you here. <laughs> and you need to do it together with this group of believers. Now, we're going to do it with all Christians together. But we have a special working together as a church, as his family here. So if God is calling you to be part of this church, you respond and you come to him. We're going to, the music team is going to lead us in one more song. But as they do, you have a chance. If you want to know more about following Jesus, you come. I'll be happy to speak with you. Pastor Barry will be here. Uh, David's going to come up here too. Uh, uh, and uh, if you need to speak with someone about being a member here or joining this church, if you need to speak to someone about following Jesus, you come, you respond. Let me pray as the music team comes to lead us in one more song. Father, thank you for your word. Speak to us. Guide us. Help us be this people who is known by your name, walking in your ways. We pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen.